Hi there, Kayana here. Now, here is part two of the recap episode for the series of podcast episodes that make up Nothing But a Number. In case you forgot, episode two is called Nothing But a Number. That is the collection of seven episodes of the podcast that make up episode two. I mean, you know how this works. I mean, I always say that. You know how this works. So here I will give you the recap of the story without the cold opens so you can get a full sense of where things will be when we pick back up. In When Do You Start, which is episode 2.4, Kenya has to nurse a sick Lucas while trying to get him to actually take an active part in something important for his own career. And TK, still thinking about the possibility of being an old rapping teacher, tries to quit her job but is denied by the principal. In The Great Compromise, episode 2.5, Kenya goes out with an older guy, that older guy we met, (laughs) to a Balkan beatbox concert and later realizes that she's actually much more than a kid than she initially realized. Jay goes to a college party and finds herself in a compromising situation with her young friend. In Of Age Yet, which is episode 2.6, The party that Jay's at gets crashed by the police, and her age, ironically, is what saves her from further embarrassment. Kenya helps Lucas get better, but refuses to do anything more for this grown child. And Ty gets a little surprise of her own when she finds out who, exactly, her secret admirer is. And then we close it out with episode 2.7, where Kenya realizes that she's still in the process of becoming a grown-up. And she makes the decision about her retaining wall. Hmm. TK realizes that she has to go all in with her music or she'll regret it. And Kenya finally meets her father's new love interest. Someone much, much younger. I'm Kayana Ebony Brown. And this is a story of music and men. I learned very early on that my job overseeing the careers of musicians often blur the line between professional and parental. That evening, I made my way across town to check up on Lucas. For most people, the common cold was just a few irritating symptoms and maybe a good excuse to take off work or school. But Lucas... It was a matter of life and death. He rented a room in a house shared by I don't know how many people. So even though one of his roommates let me into the front door, I still found myself knocking on the entrance to his room. I heard the guitar stop and the shuffling of feet mixed with coughing coming toward the door before it opened, revealing a zombie-like version of my boy. Dressed in pajama bottoms, a t-shirt, and a robe. He made himself look even more pitiful once he saw me, perhaps to draw my sympathy. I feel like shit, Kenya. He coughed away from me and into his arm, and I covered the bottom half of my face with my coat so I wouldn't breathe in any residual germs. Oh, good afternoon to you too, I replied. You have a key for a reason he said with slight irritation, having had to get up out of bed to open the door. Hey, I don't know what I might be walking in on, I said. He walked back over to the mattress on the floor and collapsed onto it, apparently where he'd been before I came in. The room was more like a little makeshift apartment. Unlike all of the other rooms in the house, this one did have its own bathroom and a little kitchenette all within approximately a 300-foot space. The place was a mess. Clothes everywhere, loose papers all over the joint, food packages on the floor, actual food on the floor. Hey, have you read the ASCAP stuff I sent to you? I asked, already knowing the answer. 
The only thing to sit on was a milk crate, so I grabbed one, slid it close to him, and sat down, waiting for my answer. Ugh, I've been writing and rehearsing all day. Man, I think I might have liver failure. So, no, you haven't read it. I concluded with a deep sigh because here's the thing. Every biopic, biography, and unsung story about musicians have a common denominator. Ignorant artists who either didn't know or didn't bother to educate themselves about how their business should work. Now, ASCAP is what you would call a performance rights organization, or a PRO. There are three significant ones in America. BMI and CSAC are the other two. Every artist, regardless of skill or professional level, should affiliate with one. When you hear a song on the radio or in a public place, that place is responsible for paying to use that music. That money is called royalties. A PRO's sole purpose is to appropriately collect these royalties for the copyright owners of music, which in Lucas's case would be Lucas because he writes all of his own stuff. The truth is, I had filed the papers for him months ago, <laughs> but he didn't know it. I still wanted him to go through the process. I didn't want stupid artists who would later question whether I had anything to do with their financial situation. If, of course, it was a bad situation. You hear me? I googled liver failure and I think I might have it. This was the most ridiculous assumption he could make. I reached over and used my thumb to lift his eyelid. Hey, hey, shoot, he yelled, backing away. I then lifted his shirt to see his chest. Does this hurt? I asked, pressing his chest. No, but stop. What are you doing? You don't have liver failure. How do you know? Well, because acute liver failure causes jaundice of the eyes and skin and tenderness of the chest. What? Why do you know that? Aside from my father working in healthcare, I asked rhetorically, which had nothing to do with me knowing about his health, but made for a good argument. It's my job to know when I have babies for artists who avoid exercise like the plague and won't eat what I tell them to eat. I picked up an empty fast food bag and tossed it at him. And don't read the performance rights organization stuff that they need to sign. Uh, aren't you supposed to do this kind of stuff for You me? should still know what it is, Lucas. He rolled his eyes as if to say that I was annoying him. But I went on. You want your music on the radio, right? On TV, clubs, bars, DJs everywhere. Well, who do you think is going to make sure you get paid when all that happens? Any worthwhile musician is with one of these organizations. We have to choose one for you, all right? Now, I can do it, but I want you to be a part of the process. And I want to get it done today, so stop trying to diagnose yourself and get to it. Your immune system is just depleted, okay? Oh, do you think I need to go to the emergency room? He asked, more concerned with that than anything I just said. Oh, no, uh-uh. I am not sitting around there all day just to have a doctor prescribe rest, vitamin C, and some soup, okay? I stood up. You're leaving? No, you can't go. Can you please? Lucas. Can you please? You just got here. As I looked down into those watery puppy dog eyes, in that very moment, it became clear to me even though I wasn't a parent, I still had a baby. <sighs> I'll be back later. I promise, okay? Meanwhile, it had been nearly two weeks since the Kennedy Center event, and TK still had not gotten that rapping teacher out of her head. It wasn't that the guy couldn't rap. He actually wasn't even that bad. It was, however, 
the fact that he was well into his 50s. Something about that just didn't seem right to TK. And she wondered if in 40 years, that might be her. Teacher of the year who, oh, by the way, could also rap. She was consumed by all of this mentally while physically surrounded by the obnoxious sound of rowdy teenagers during her fourth period class, who should have been completing an end of the semester final. Instead, they had become rambunctious and she hadn't even noticed. She was staring blankly past the kids and into the back of the room where, on the wall, was a large picture of a matriarch elephant taken by her wife during a recent trip to East Africa. She remembered the tour guide telling them that this elephant was nearly 70 years old and how much she'd walked in her lifetime. The only thing TK could think about right now was whether that elephant ever figured out where she was going. She looked up and saw the girl who was complaining, but she didn't respond. She couldn't. Instead, she just sat there contemplating the question, when do you stop? When do you finally admit to yourself that you're too old to be a rapper and just stop? And right then, her trance was broken by the sound of the bell indicating the end of the period. So, as the lunch break was coming to a close, Principal Marks found herself sitting behind her desk, staring at a typed letter instead of at that tuna sandwich that was getting warm as the smell consumed the room. A box filled with miscellaneous items took one of the chairs opposite the desk in front of her. The other chair was vacant because her world history teacher, Miss Kamala Tajiri Rahman, preferred to stand during what she hoped would be a brief meeting. Principal Marks folded the letter back down like it was when she received it took off her glasses, but did not look up to make eye contact with TK. Instead, she kept her eyes on her desk as she said, Kamala, you know what? I'm going to do you a favor. She looked at the letter again, and then she looked up at TK for the first time since she'd started reading. I'm going to let you... Go back to your classroom, put your things back on your desk, and back on the shelves. And then I want you to go home, hug your son, kiss your wife, eat the dinner she makes, drink the water she pours. Maybe you even make love to her tonight. Take yourself a nice hot shower. And you come in here tomorrow morning, ready to educate these kids. And at the end of this month, and the end of next month, and the month after that, you're going to pay your rent, your electric, gas, water, and telephone bills. You're going to buy food, the fresh kind, not boxed or processed. You're going to take your family out someplace and have a very, very nice time. You're even going to have a little money to put into that uh, music thing you like doing. But the reality is, teaching world history enables all that. It enables it because it is a job. It allows you to live and to eat and to take care of your responsibilities as a spouse and a parent. Rapping, she said, as if this was something utterly ridiculous. 
It does not do that. TK dropped her head considering what she'd just heard. Principal Marks was someone she admired. She looked up to her, in fact. She herself was a poet and she had spent many a lunch hour with TK talking about the art form and its influence on the culture. Not just the hip hop culture, but the American culture. Principal Marks was the person who had given TK her first job out of college and even hired her again here at this school. She thought TK was very bright and could someday be where she was if she just stayed focused. So tonight, when your wife asks you how your day was, you tell her whatever you tell her every other night. And believe me, you'll rest assured that when you flip that light switch, that bulb inside is going to flare up. Because the favor I'm giving you right now is the chance to walk out of here as if none of this ever happened. She pointed that folded piece of paper at TK, who stared at it for a moment before reaching out and reluctantly taking it. She then picked up that box full of her teacher stuff, turned, and left the office. Principal Marks took a very deep breath considering the bullet she'd just dodged and the good deed she felt she'd just done. And then she looked over at that sandwich that was looking right back at her and she finally picked it up and went to town on it before she could unexpectedly be interrupted again. But TK left pondering a whole new question. And at an open mic that night, she tested out a new poem about this question. It was called, When Do You Start? Gideon asked me to meet him at U Street Music Hall. I was curious, what business a guy like him had at a place like this? Knowing the spot well, I figured I'd dress the part. Rocker cut black jeans, chuck tail as a vintage tee, and black rimmed non-prescription, hipster glasses for good measure and accessory. I even plucked my hair out even more to make the curls in my fro just a little bit more untamed. Before I could get out of my ride share, I was confronted by a massive crowd doing a piss poor job of creating a single file line standing outside the place along the street. I spotted Gideon who was already in line and walked hastily toward him. Look, you have to believe me when I tell you I am not usually late, I said before even greeting him. Oh yeah, he said to meet him at 6.15. It was 6.54. Look, I was once a young business owner myself. I know how it is. So you're actually right on time, he said, smiling. My mouth fell open. (laughs) You knew I would be late, so... So... I planned to see the whole show, he finished, still smiling. Doors open at (laughs) 7. But for the record, I'm usually always on time, okay? (laughs) He just said, okay, and ended that conversation with a smile. He had a really nice smile, and I bet he knew it, which was why he used it so much. It was nice enough to get him out of situations and maybe into others. He looked over at me and said, You look good. Um, I, I like this getup. It's, it's really cute. I thought about that. Cute. That was a step up from nice, I suppose, which was the usual complimentary word I got from guys. 
I still hadn't made it to hot yet. And I guess sexy might still be a ways off. I responded, uh, thanks, while looking down at myself to remember this ensemble for later use, perhaps. Fashion is not and never has been my strong suit. Although I didn't feel the need to return the compliment, I did notice that he wasn't wearing his shirt tucked into his jeans like last time. That, I guess, was an improvement. So, you like bulk and beatbox? He asked me. Oh, yeah. Bulk and Beatbox is one of my favorite bands. In fact, I'd seen them the last time they were in D.C. Then I quickly remembered the style of music they did, like this high-energy Israeli fusion of reggae, hip-hop, and klezmer. And I looked at him in shock and said, Wait, you like Bulk and Beatbox? (laughs) I'm a man of diverse tastes. I learned about their music during a trip to Tel Aviv a couple of years ago. Hmm, Tel Aviv. Wow. So he asked me, Have you been? Um, mm, sad to say that I don't get out of the city much. How come? He asked. The fact that I still lived at home with my father should have been evidence of my current financial status. But I responded with, Well, time. Oh, yeah. He said reminiscently, those formative years of entrepreneurship can be a bitch, can't they? I simply smiled. He understood this without my having to explain. I like that. The line began moving and we continued to talk as we made our way into the club. Come to find out, this was a small, exclusive performance in D.C. to celebrate their new album release, which explained why it wasn't at a bigger venue, considering the band's popularity. Gideon later mentioned that his close friend from Tel Aviv was the band's attorney. Who'd have guessed? It was standing room only inside, and the excitement began right away. Before the end of the first song, we were both jumping around like kids in one of those fast food restaurant jungle gyms. That evening, age went right out the window, and we bonded over bad dancing and bulking beatbox. While I was letting my hair down, Jay was letting her guard down. Mason had taken her to a party near Catholic University that was anything but holy. Things started out normal. Music, drinks, conversation. But somewhere between her second spliff and her third Stella Artois, the entire place had gone totally dark. The lights turned black, giving an ultraviolet glow to everything and everyone. The music changed from radio-friendly EDM to every kind of house on the block. The drinks were stronger than anything Anheuser-Busch would make, and hookah stems were an extension of nearly everyone's mouth. No one seemed to be talking either, but they were connecting in other ways far more intimate. This could have been a frat house, and this could have been a frat party, which meant Mason could have been a frat boy. But none of that even mattered to Jay, as she sat on a couch practically on Mason's lap, sharing smoke from a multi-stem hookah pipe, as they could barely see through the cloud that surrounded them. She didn't know what it was about Mason that had her soul hooked, Perhaps his British accent, his caramel skin, plump lips. All of that was just icing. The cake, which was the real reason why she looked forward to a text from him every single day, was his unusual ability to make her come in the messiest of ways and faster than she could even do it herself. 
No man had ever done that so consistently, so the fact that he was technically still just a boy was utterly remarkable. Therefore, in her words, she gave zero fucks about how old he was because he was sexually skilled far beyond his years. So she indulged in hookah for the first time in years with Mason. And as he took the stem from his mouth, turned to her and blew the smoke right into her face, she laughed and lost herself in the moment as they then began making out. Jay hadn't done things like this since, well, since she was Mason's age. Suddenly, he pulled away, reaching into his pocket. Hey, look what I found, he said, pulling out a handful of pills, some pink and some blue. The pink one is for me, and the blue one, I'm taking that for you. You'll thank me for it later, he said as he stuck his tongue in her mouth for five more seconds of action before he pulled away and began laughing suggestively as he popped one of each pill and downed them with her beer. Grimacing, she said, Hey, should you be mixing the two of those and with beer? (laughs) What are you like, my fucking mom now? This statement quickly made her self-conscious. She even looked around to make sure no one heard him, lest she be found out for being older than everyone there. Here, he offered, trying to stick one of the pills into her mouth. But she dodged it and tried to rebound by saying, I don't need pills to have a good time. Ooh, you know what would be fucking dope right now? He said already on another topic. If you gave me head. What? He didn't even seem to interpret her outrage as a no because he was sitting there smiling and apparently waiting for her to start. No, I'm not doing that shit right here come on nobody's paying us any attention come on but she said that is not the point even with mason dixon there were just some lines even jay wouldn't cross fine i'll just give it to you however there was always room for compromise He moved down onto his knees in front of her and spread her legs. And before she knew it, she could barely speak. beatbox show ended just before dying so Gideon and I figured we'd try to find something to eat before it got too late but after strolling and talking and eliminating every restaurant we passed for one reason or another before we knew it midnight was approaching and our options were becoming even more limited fortunately we stumbled onto the diner which was the actual name of the diner And lucky for us, it was open 24 hours. So, in we went. Talking with him came easily, and I enjoyed listening to the many stories of his travels and other adventures. I learned that Gideon was originally from Memphis, had been in business for himself for over 15 years, loved jazz, and in fact, he'd played tenor saxophone ever since he was six. I'd ordered pancakes, which, for some reason, Gideon found adorable. I almost never pass up breakfast food if it's an option, I admitted. I don't care what time of day it is. Or night, he filled in. Or night, I agreed. But as the conversation progressed, it somehow had quickly gone from lighthearted tales about his world experiences with food to loaded revelations about who he was and what he wanted out of life. 
Because, you know, your priorities start changing after a while. He explained. I mean, I've traveled all over the world. My business is doing great. I was young when I married. 22. Big, big mistake. So now, I have an ex-wife. <laughs> I don't want another one. I simply nodded while purposely avoiding eye contact as I tried to finish the pancakes, knowing that I didn't stand a chance. I'm ready to do it for real this time, he added. And I could feel him look at me when he said that, but again, I just nodded and made sure not to lock eyes. But he went on. And no kids, uh, not yet anyway. Uh, but what about you? I know you've never been married, but uh, is that something you were looking forward to? Or My mouth was full, so this gave me the perfect excuse to take my time to answer him. But between you and me, as much as I might have considered a more domesticated life someday, in reality, it was the furthest thing from my mind at the time. Uh, I don't know, maybe, I responded. He smiled, but also grimaced, and repeated with a questioning inflection. Maybe? This time, the waitress was at the table refilling the water in the glass, which, again, provided me a little more time before I had to respond. Most of the men I meet expect women, even ones my age, to be on the lookout for a husband. When I say I'm not looking for that, it immediately draws the conclusion that I'm doing what my friend Jay is doing, playing the field. And I'm not. But to say that I'm thinking about marriage right now might imply that I would jump into it in my 20s like Ty did. And I'm not doing that either. The waitress walked off, so I said, Yeah, maybe. So you don't know if you ever want to get married? Well, um, I might, eventually. <laughs> you might, he repeated. But, what, right now you're just out to have fun? No, not exactly. I mean, yeah, I want to have fun, but... I could see the look on his face was both a look of confusion and a look of intrigue. So I quickly added, <laughs> not that kind of fun. Not what kind of fun? He asked. And I thought to myself, ah, how do I explain this? Well, uh, like how most single people prefer to live, I don't. And I thought that my explanation was very clear, but he came back with, okay, so you don't want to get married, but you don't want to be single. So... What are you doing? Honestly, at that very moment, I wanted to be doing something, literally anything, other than talking about this with him. I hate feeling like I have to explain myself, but I hate being misunderstood. So it's always a weird, uncomfortable situation, wishing people just got me without me having to give them anything to get. Um, I'm just... I sighed and started over. I guess I'm trying to live in the moment and not, not focus too much on a future that may or may not even happen. And he asked me, why wouldn't it happen? I don't, I don't know. Do you have a plan? He asked. Um, a plan? Yeah, like a five-year plan, he explained. If so, it would lead you into your early 30s, and if you do plan to have kids, it should probably be a part of that schedule. My pancakes, or what was left of them, had become extremely important right now. But the truth was, I had a plan. A business plan, which had nothing to do with a husband or kids or any of that. So, in fact, I had a better idea of where my company would be in five years than I did my own life. 
The waitress came to the table and picked up Gideon's empty plate. And before she could get away, he said, Check, please. Those last five seconds of silence was more deafening than the concert we'd been in for two hours. And the funniest thing of all is that at that very moment, I would much rather have been discussing the bar scene from Pee Wee's Big Adventure than sitting at that table with him. public place or not, as the night went on, Jay had forgotten about her seemingly unspoken rule of not having sex in public, or at least not doing it at a college party. At least not while not being in college herself. Come on, who are we kidding? This wasn't really a rule, it was just a thing that she, for some reason or another, had decided she wasn't going to do at least not that night. Until, of course, she was doing it. She lay back, eyes closed, sliding her hand back and forth over Mason's hair as he did to her what he had now become famous for doing, making her forget her first, middle, and last name. She kinda wanted to know what that knocking sound was, but then again, she kind of didn't even care. That bass drum in that song is really upbeat. Wait, that's not the music. That's something else, she thought. She couldn't process the commotion or come up with another description for the sounds she was hearing, but what caused her to finally open her eyes was when she realized Mason was pulling away before finishing what he had started. That wasn't like him. What are you do? She started, but when she noticed the two police officers entering the house, she was instantly both completely sober and doing absolutely nothing she had no business doing. She quickly straightened her clothes and sat up straight on the sofa as Mason slid next to her, also trying not to look drunk or high or worse, both and worse, failing on both accounts. The music suddenly stopped as the cops, two of them, a lady and a guy, slowly strolled through, taking mental inventory of everything and everyone that they were seeing. IDs, everybody take out your IDs. Anybody who is under the age of 21 or who does not have an ID is coming with us tonight. Jay and Mason looked at each other and almost as if to say, sorry to have to do this, she slowly reached over and slid her little purse closer. The female officer, a rather short blonde who looked like she did MMA full time and the cop thing on the side, stood right in front of Jay, looking down at her while chewing a wad of gum. IDs? she said quietly. As Jay began searching her purse for her license to give to the officer, Mason weighed his three options. He could show his ID and end up at the precinct for the night, or he could pretend not to have it and still end up at the precinct for the night. Or, option number three, run. He leaped up from his seat and was out the door before either of the officers could stop what they were doing to chase him. And to make it even worse, two other guys followed him. Neither officer even flinched as if to even think about running after them. 
The officer looked back down at Jay, who was now holding her license in her hand. She took it and quickly examined it. She looked down at Jay, then back at the license again before saying, My guys downstairs, they're going to take your boyfriend to the 5th precinct. If I were you, she said, pointing the license back at Jay, I would find somewhere else to party tonight. (laughs) Ma'am, she added with a little smirk. Jay nodded, avoiding eye contact, as she humbly accepted the card back, quickly fumbling to get it back into her purse. All right, party's over. Jay wasn't high at all, and what she'd been drinking wasn't strong enough to get her that drunk. She was, however, embarrassed, because as she got up to leave, she didn't have to look around to know that she'd be among the minority when it came to people who'd actually walk out of there freely that night, simply because she was of age. Gideon and I said our goodbyes and headed in separate directions. And for the record, his exact age? Well, he was a proud 49 until June of next year. But I couldn't go home because I had promised Lucas I'd be back. I managed to make it to a store before closing time to pick up a few things to aid in his recovery. And this time, I bypassed it knocking and just used my key to come right in. Oh, man, what took you so long? Again, hello to you, too, I said. I was hell-bent on breaking his habit of not formally greeting me. I sat the grocery bag of stuff down on a table and took off my coat. Oh, wow. Nice outfit. Why are you trying to look all nice and stuff? Like, like a girl. (laughs) I handed him the cup of tea and said, Here, drink this. And thanks, I said to his unexpected compliment. He sat up on the bed to drink his tea. Then after a few sips, he said with a devilish smirk lingering on his face, I'll bet you saw a boy tonight, didn't you? (laughs) And as I sat on the milk crate, I tried to look preoccupied with setting up his laptop to handle business. I was in no mood to start discussing my personal life with Lucas. You did. (laughs) I can tell. Who is he? Is it someone I know? (laughs) Again, I just shook my head and focused on the screen. His insistence caused me to want to laugh, but I held back that as well. Tell me, can you tell me? It wasn't a boy. It was a man. (laughs) I revealed. Oh, okay. (laughs) A man, huh? He said teasingly. Well, are you going to see men more often? (laughs) I made him wait for my response. And then, to amuse him, I said, I don't know. Probably can't. I have to take care of you. And of course, he replied, Well, I think that's, that's good. At least you know where your priorities lie. He could see that I was pulling up the ASCAP website, so in an effort to distract me or distract himself, he said, Hmm, hmm, what is this? Referring to what was in the cup. It's tea, I told him. Oh, okay. Is, uh, is this what you drink? Is it why you never get sick? I reached over and picked up the same fast food bag from earlier and tossed it at him again. I don't eat this, so I think that helps. Hey, I promise I'm going to do that performance stuff tomorrow. We're going to do it now, even if I have to read it to you myself. He began strumming a melancholy tune on the guitar. Oh, yeah, I meant to tell you, I finished that song I was writing, too, he said. I might change the bridge, but uh, the hook is the hook is tight, and the verses are there. 
they're dope. But um, I guess you'll be the judge of that, right? I simply smiled, but I was glad that the kid was starting to understand the order of things. At 1.34 a.m., young Lucas was too sick to run, hide, avoid me, or find a way to put off sitting down and completing this process that would later be very beneficial to the financial part of his career. (sighs) I looked around at the mess still all over the place, and I desperately wanted to clean it up simply because it should have been clean. This was an adult's room, after all. I even started by picking up that fast food bag I had thrown at him and putting it into the trash. But I couldn't do it. Despite how he acted most of the time, Lucas was a grown man. And despite how I treated him most of the time, I knew I needed to start insisting that he become one. Making him go through this ASCAP process was a start. But as he slept now and I stood there preparing to trek back to Capitol Hill from Columbia Heights at this godforsaken hour in the morning, I had learned a valuable lesson. Although I felt like I needed to take care of Lucas, I wouldn't be able to do that for the rest of his life. The tea and the soup and the other medicinal gifts I brought to him that night were fine, but there was a line that needed to be drawn. So... I drew the line right then. I'm not a mother, and I'm not a guardian. I am the head of a label, so it was about time I started accepting that despite our loving relationship, I was in his life for business reasons. That's it. So I looked at the mess around me, and then at the boy fast asleep in his bed on the floor, and I left. By the next day, Lucas was feeling a whole lot better. But unfortunately, however, the same couldn't be said for Jay. Oh my God, I feel like shit. She exclaimed with exasperation as she gingerly slid into the booth beside Ty. We were at a little coffee shop we'd come to near my house a few times. Ty liked the Ethiopian brew there. And she and I had already been there for almost an hour that afternoon when Jay came in walking funnily and stepping softly as she made her way over to our table, a window booth. She didn't look like her normal camera-ready self either, which was probably why she was hiding behind sunshades on this rather bleak, overcast day. She covered her face with her hands and then picked up Ty's coffee and began drinking it. Um... What happened? I asked. Did, um, things go south? (laughs) Again, Ty got my bad Civil War pun and simply smiled. It just, that, in all that energy he has, it's, it's because he's, he's a fucking drug addict, okay? So, yeah, no, I can't deal with him anymore. His head game is epic as a motherfucker. But she stopped as soon as she noticed the waitress as she topped off the mugs on the table. Uh, can we get another cup of uh, coffee over here, please? Thank you. Ty said, no longer interested in the one Jay had stolen from her. She nodded to Ty, but then gave Jay a judgmental glance before walking away. I'm telling you, the sex is fucking ridiculous. But I'm getting too old for this shit. Can't be popping fucking pills and smoking all kinds of shit all the time. Shit, I'm an adult. (laughs) Damn it, I pay taxes. (laughs) I laugh because this was a prototypical Jay comment in which we would all normally find humor at her expense. But I noticed that Ty was distant. Now, later on, I found out that The reason why she was remaining quiet without an ounce of judgment toward Jay was because last week, 
on a day when her hormones conflicted with her worst hair day of the month, and she was forced to go to work instead of staying at home in bed. She'd gotten a bit of a surprise of her own. Um, Dr. Aldrich? Uh, I can no longer use my father as my intermediary. The cards? Those were from me. Ty's mouth fell open as she sat adjacent to her three o'clock. A seven-year-old boy named Teddy, who had begun seeing her a few months ago after the loss of his mother the year before. She quickly realized that she was probably revealing her shock, so she straightened up in her chair to allow him to continue comfortably. I think you're pretty, and you're really, really nice to me. And you listen to me without making me feel bad, so... I think that makes you even more prettier. Oh my God, thank you, Teddy. But he wasn't done. Dr. Aldrich, I'm going to marry you when I grow up. If, of course, you'll have me. She couldn't help but blush. She would never forget the feeling she felt when that seven-year-old boy, albeit... In her words, a mature seven professed his love to her. In fact, she immediately thought of Jay and made a personal vow to never again harass her about the ages of the men she dated or the boys. I stood at the window in my living room looking out at two guys in cargo pants and boots in front of my house, taking instruction from the man I'd shared an awkward late-night dinner with just a few days ago. The thing I quickly come to realize was that Gideon was a grown-up. But unfortunately for him, I was still in the process of becoming one. We were in two completely different places in our lives. So the day after our incredible bulk and beatbox experience, I told him that I didn't think we should see each other again. He agreed. But because he gave a solid quote and great references for his work, I agreed and told my dad that he would be the best person to address the issues of our retaining wall. He felt that, considering where I was, it was best that I had a wall in order to keep my property in the purest state possible and not have to concern myself with runoff and debris from bad storms and such. The wall I had, he said, would surely collapse soon. So he thought, for me, the buffer was very much needed and I couldn't disagree. My concentration, watching the men at work, was interrupted. Hey, uh, I'm headed out. You need anything? My father asked as he entered the room wearing blue hospital scrubs under his jacket, carrying a black duffel bag. He began putting on his scarf and coat as he waited for me to respond. I turned and gave him my full attention. Uh, no, I'm good. Thanks. He looked at me as if gauging my current mood or disposition. And then, once his coat was on, he finally said, Hey, listen, I know I've never introduced you to anybody before, so this is all still, you know, new to you. Dad, I get it. You're dating. It's cool. You're an adult, okay? (laughs) I don't mean that, he said. And then he stopped and really looked at me before starting again. I mean... Oh, the age thing? (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I admit, I am a little weirded out by the whole idea of a 33-year-old, but, I mean, I'm a big girl, okay? Uh, it's, it's cool. We exchanged smiles as we silently agreed upon an unspoken understanding. I knew that he was trying to explain more to me, and that the age thing wasn't the only, or the top, thing on his list. I wanted him to know that it was all good. He didn't need to explain anything to me. So he gave up on trying to clarify things and simply smiled at me. Then he kissed me on the forehead, turned, and opened the door. See you later. Love you, he said without waiting to hear me say it back before the door was closing. My eyes followed him as he left the house, passing by the men working at the periphery of the property. He stopped for a brief moment to say a few words to Gideon while inspecting the wall construction before heading to his car. My father knew nothing of Gideon's and my time together outside the wall. Before turning back to his job, Gideon happened to catch eyes with me standing in the doorway. He gave me a cordial smile and nodded, and I returned the sentiment. Maybe my wall would come down someday, but for now, the best option was to reinforce it and hope for decent weather. At my ripe age of old enough to know better, but too young to care, I was learning to accept that age is more than just a number. It's life's way of counting you in or counting you out. TK learned this the hard way and lived to tell me about it that evening when we met for dinner at Busboys and Poets. Uh, you hungry? She asked, probably rhetorically and probably sarcastically, as she watched me for a moment as I tore into the meatless sandwich made with a portobello substitute in front of me. Oh, God, yes, I am starving. I was running around all day scouting locations with this new director for your video shoot next month, which is going to be amazing, by the way. Then I got the contracts back for a couple of big shows in the spring, which I was able to negotiate double what our asking fee was last year this time. Thank you. You can thank me later. Whatever. And then I had to finish up some boring stuff. You know, the usual phone calls, emails, tweet this, Facebook that, Insta that. So, yeah, busy day. But, I mean, that's every day. So, how about you? I asked, finally. And she took her time, taking a deep, contemplative breath before saying, Well, I didn't quit my job today, so... What? I don't... I don't understand. Were you supposed to? She thought about it, and thought about how exactly she was going to put this, and she said, It's that... It's that damn rapping teacher can't get him out of my head. I mean, I get it. I know that this takes time, but I, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> I snickered because I knew she was still thinking about that guy, but I didn't think that it was to this extent. I listened as she went on. So at first, I kept telling myself, when do you stop? At, I mean, like, at what point? Is it 35? Is it 40? I can't imagine still trying to make it as a rapper when I'm 50. I'm sorry. Look, if it's your it's... dream, you never give up. Ask that rapping teacher, I teased. Too soon, perhaps, because TK's expression said that she didn't find any of this funny. She went on. So I went to the principal last week and handed her my resignation letter. And instead of just accepting it, she gave it back to me and reminded me why I was still working there. Which is? I asked. <sighs> I've been working with you doing music now for what, four or five years? We've had some moderate success, but music is still what I do in my spare time. 
I haven't truly committed to making music the thing that I do with my life. So I couldn't quit my job. And now that's what I've been thinking about ever since. When do you start? When does everything else become secondary and you start being who you say you want to be? Well, who do you say you want to be? I don't... That's the thing. I've I've never said it. I've just been doing music, but I don't even know if I have a vision. You have a vision. You have a vision. You're just scared because you know it doesn't include standing in a classroom, but the classroom is such a convenient paycheck. It's what you're used to and what you've relied on for security. It's safe. But sometimes, I said taking a sip of water first. Sometimes security can be, it can be overrated. But I can promise you, (laughs) you won't be in a classroom when you're 35, trust me. (sighs) She sighed with a smile, feeling more sure about this now that I'd said something. It was as if hearing me provided some type of confirmation for her. I guess that's also what I'm there for. That, too, is part of my job. Honestly, I see myself being one of the greats, she revealed. It's like Lauren, Latifah, and TK. And so, you've said it. Start, I told her. Be. Be great. She stared at me while I just continued to eat. Maybe she wanted a little more. Could it really be that easy? Was probably what she was thinking. No, it likely wouldn't be that easy. I mean, greatness is the result of process. True greats, whether in sports, arts, math, science, they all embrace the process. The practice, the rewrites, the redos, the failed attempts, the misfires, the miscues, the studying, the long nights, the bad days, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then they become great as a result. Look, no one gets to nine Super Bowls and wins six and becomes the greatest of all time without being a process person. TK's eyes glazed over as she stared into the table, contemplating. I could see her mentally digesting the idea of our discussion, perhaps visualizing her starting point. First thing Monday morning, TK will walk back into Principal Marx's office, sit down, and inform her of the plan to finish out this semester teaching world history, but that it would be her last. Later that evening, I'll have a dinner date, which I'll stay committed to this time, with my father and Manuel, an olive-complected, lean, handsome surgical resident at the hospital where he worked the 33-year-old he was seen. Yes, my father is gay. But this isn't new to me. I've had about nine years to live with this fact. He came to me when I was 18, just after he and my mom revealed their pending split, and told me a little more about himself than, than I was expecting. Although, apparently, him being gay wasn't the catalyst for their split after 20-plus years together, just as, I guess, their breakup wasn't the catalyst for my mother's and my fractured relationship either. I suppose big things are oftentimes the result of a whole bunch of little things, and that was certainly the case with her and I. But that is a story for another time. Anyway... Even though he was out and free to just be, he never was. He never consistently dated and never had a relationship, at least not one serious enough to bring home to meet me, until now. So although he was who he was, 
I just never had the chance to reconcile my knowledge with evidence. But all of that was irrelevant as I was being introduced to a guy 20 years his junior as his new partner. Orientation aside, <laughs> seeing my parent with someone nearly my age was, it was just plain bizarre to me, I'll admit. Now, that was something that would take some serious getting used to. But being a big girl, I guess it was doable. It was John Lennon who wrote, Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. He was 20 years old when he sang that. Now that I think about it, I wonder if he was talking about all the plans we're allegedly supposed to make in order to become a proper grown-up. Business plans, family plans, career plans, contingency plans, or even life plans. See, I was trying to adopt the habit of letting life be life. Because I would hate to think that real, untethered living only comes with youth. And that with age, all you have is plans. There is so much I want. So much I want to achieve. Such a specific me I desperately want to be. Of course, I have years to accomplish all of that, but... I always feel like time is running out on me and that other folk my age are light years ahead of me that I haven't accomplished and haven't made the right plans to accomplish all of what I want to be. Hence the plight of the typical millennial. My portobello sandwich and fries were gone in minutes. And as I sat there with TK in that restaurant thinking about all of this, I couldn't help but notice all of the people all around us of all ages, all of whom were once babies who didn't give a care about any of the things I pondered, and many of whom would grow old and again, not give a care about any of this stuff. That is the cycle. And somewhere in there, we can only do our best to make a life worth telling stories about with people worth making stories with. So right then, perhaps one of those inexplicable cues from the universe, I was suddenly consumed by the intoxicating aroma of chocolate. So Lennon was definitely onto something. Life can't be planned. And since that's the case, the very same might be said about love. You can find the link to all of these artists that are featured in this episode or in this collection of episodes here in your show notes. I actually recommend going back and listening to the full episodes of the podcast which includes the cold open segments. They give you a little timely, sometimes even philosophical viewpoint to help introduce the theme of that episode. And lastly, before we head out, don't forget to go to ofmusicandmen.com. Get yourself a copy of episode two, which is nothing but a number, for any amount that you are willing to give. And until next time, I'm Kayana. This is Of Music and Men. Stay tuned.